if you preferred large block Bitcoin and you switch to Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, you got the feature, but you lose whatever, 90% of your plus percent of your wealth against BTC. Sidechain prevents that from happening. It says you will never be harmed as a result of trying the new software. And that's how you have lots of different systems work without having the exchange rate appreciation or depreciation, which people just don't like. They don't like volatility as it is, so you don't add more. Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency, sits at about 47% of the entire cryptocurrency market, under half. And as far as usage that people are actually willing to pay for, it's less than 10% of what Ethereum is. It's a fair point to say that virtually all the cryptocurrency market exists because it does things that Bitcoin could not or decided not to do. A lot of Bitcoin's hopes and dreams have been pinned on second layer solutions such as the Lightning Network, but so far that hasn't really taken off in a really meaningful way, and even then doesn't really do a lot of the things that other cryptocurrencies do so well. So is Bitcoin going to be a shrinking part of the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem over time? Maybe not. Drive chains are an interesting technology that basically lets you build any kind of cryptocurrency type chain on top of Bitcoin as a layer two and easily swap in and out between the main layer and other ones. Basically, the value proposition would be to take all the cryptos out there, do literally the same thing that they would do, tie the unit of account to Bitcoin so you don't have to be speculating on a whole bunch of different assets, combine their security with that of the main Bitcoin chain and basically make it one big ecosystem. Allows Bitcoin to become the only cryptocurrency anyone really needs, but at the same time allows Bitcoin to do all the things that anyone else kind of wants to do Why people like me are kind of using other cryptocurrencies. The idea of drive chains has been around for many years, but it recently got a sort of resurgence in attention um, thanks to Paul Stortz, who I have the pleasure of speaking with right now, to kind of go into a deep dive of what are drive chains, how do they work, why use them, et cetera, et cetera. Hey everyone, I have the fantastic pleasure of speaking with the one and only Paul Stortz. How's it going, man? Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. I uh, definitely saw your name pop up a lot in the whole drive chain discussion. And that's one of those new things that have popped up. I wouldn't say it's it's not necessarily new, but it's the attention is definitely growing and is new around it. People have finally come around. <laughs> well, let's, let's really hope so. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's so. so. It's so I just, you know, wanted to kind of get really deep into the subject um, or maybe not super deep technically, but very just into like the whole value proposition and everything and also the feasibility. But uh, before yes. we dive into all that stuff, do you want to just really quick say who you are, what you do, etc. cetera? Hmm. Well, yes, I'm Paul Stortz. I am the founder and CEO of Layer 2 Labs, which is uh, focused on uh, building the Bitcoin layer, the layer two that is actually a real layer two, which is a side chain. And we can talk a little bit about what exactly that means. But uh, I've been in Bitcoin for a long time. And uh, I published a lot of research on my blog, uh, truthcoin.info. And one of the first things I published was a peer-to-peer -peer prediction markets uh, idea for Bitcoin, but is so exotic and weird that it could only be attached to Bitcoin by a sidechain. And that is mm -hmm. what got me into all this. And then I, I learned a lot about sidechains since I had to actually work with the code and with the idea to make my own idea work. I learned a lot about like 
what most of what people say when they use that word is either false or just like irrelevant or misleading. And then I learned like the true state of affairs was terrible, but I also, I think, uh, sort of fixed it back in 2015, November, 2015. And I, I published this idea and uh, kind of been quietly advocating for it ever since. And now it, it just like I always predicted it would, I thought it would, it, it's only a matter of time before the idea makes it back because it just, it, it hits a, it solves a, a very real problem. For people, it's actually solved several at once. So I just knew it's only a matter of time before one of these problems just catches up with with uh, with reality, and then the idea is revived. And so that's sort of now what is happening. I yeah, think. for sure. So before we dive into drive chain specifically, um, in the especially the Ethereum world, but also a little bit the Bitcoin world and other worlds, there's a lot of kind of confusion over what is an L2. And what is a side chain and stuff? Right. So, what do you? What would you consider to be an L two? Uh, this could be an hour long just on this. So, yes. just for brevity, what would you consider to be an L two? And what do you think an, is a side another, chain? It's another case where I think, unfortunately, the word, uh, you know, has been ruined. So, I, it's because mm -hmm. it puts me in a difficult position when I try to explain it. Where if I explain it, it may give a definition that's in conflict with what most other people say. <laughs> And then yeah. it's a, a kind of a, a, a it's kind of a little bit of an ethical puzzle for me. Do I tell you what I really believe, or do I try to speak the language that most people speak? And uh, mm -hmm. uh, how do I square this circle, so to speak? But I think the L two is what I would do is paint a picture of the real world that you already live in first, where you yeah. have a checking account at a bank. I mean, maybe not you personally, because <laughs> you try to live off Bitcoin, which is the most admirable thing, one of the most mm -hmm. admirable things someone could do, but. Most people, they have a checking account or their business has a checking account or their employer pays them with something like a, they pay them through like, a, you know, direct deposit. So you have a checking account and your bank, they have an account themselves at the Fed in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the Fed has an account at the Bank of International Settlements. So this is Pyramid. And then uh, your if you have a credit card, the credit card has a uh, they, they have their, a checking account at whatever Chase Manhattan or something. You know, they have one, they have a, you have a Bank of America checking account. So it's kind of like, what, but this, this, I, this, my definition that I'm giving you is so different from what most people would say. So again, it puts mm -hmm. me in a kind of a tight spot, but, uh, but I think like you, the, uh, the, uh, the layer two is like, there's the existing L1 network. And then if you have, like you have like an account on L1, you can mm -hmm. make like a sub network. Mm -hmm. It's its own different thing. But what's up for grabs is all the money in that account. So let's say I have four Bitcoin on BTC layer one. I have four Bitcoin and some UTXO. I can split in the Lightning Network, the context of the Lightning Network. I make a new sub network that has only four Bitcoin in it. Mm hmm and in the Lightning Network, it's a channel that's divided between me and you, me and someone else, two people. And that four Bitcoin is split. So the way the Lightning Network works is that I take four of my Bitcoin, you take six of your Bitcoin, and we make a 10, two of two multi-sig output. So there's 10 Bitcoin in the Lightning channel, and it's split four, six. But there we can, it's our own network, so we can update it however we like. And that's what I think an L2 is. L2 is like you have, take some of the 21 million Bitcoin. It's in a sub network that can do its own thing. And the, mm -hmm. the lamest, most 
the, the lamest L2 is the custodial L2, which is like you just have your money at Coinbase. Yeah. Or you have your money at uh, Strike or Swan. Exactly. Whatever. Yes. Right. Or any custodial Lightning wallet. Uh, they just have the money there. And it's kind of like the sub network is just one guy tells you, you know, one guy just decides what happens there and not much better than that is something like the liquid network where it's just 11 or 15 keys just decide what happens mm -hmm. and similarly in, in ethereum l2 many of these l2s they have admin keys they have like it's just a multi-sig where the people can just change everything absolutely mm -hmm. everything on a whim or steal all the money and in that sense they are just as bad as the li liquid network is on btc of course well of course most people don't see any of it that way I have a very heterodox view. Yeah, I mean that is a very, I guess, reality-based way of looking at it. Not to, not to try to pat you on the back or anything, but it is true as long as you have that. But so one thing, the reason why the the side, what is a side chain, uh, question comes about is because uh, some people say that, for example, something like Polygon on Ethereum is an L two. And there's a lot of argument that it might be a side chain, or rather, it's a might just be a completely separate cryptocurrency altogether. And so, I guess what separates a like something like Litecoin is Litecoin mm -hmm. a side chain, or is it its own currency? I say no because to me, yeah. the, the side chain to me, it, this term was it came about when Bitcoin was like there was no Ethereum even existed when this term mm -hmm. first came. And to me, uh, the sidechain is a problem, is a solution to the problem of altcoins. Mm -hmm. So it's all problem centric. So it's kind of like a question, like if I asked you something like, what is a fire extinguisher? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's to put out fires. Well, you could do a lot of other things with a fire extinguisher, like you prop open a door or something. But you know what someone I mean? Over but you, you could hit someone <laughs> over the head with it. And uh, that's been done in movies, right? Yeah. And so. But if you were to try to explain a fire extinguisher without referring to putting out a fire, I mean, it's right there in the name, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like smoke detector. It's right there in the name. Mm -hmm. It's a solution to a problem. Mm -hmm, of course. You know? Like, your house is on fire while you're asleep, and you need to wake up, or you're, soon the, the carbon monoxide or whatever will kill you, and you'll be dead. Like, you need to wake up. Like, it's, you need to know about something. So... So, uh, like, if you just imagine trying to explain what a fire extinguisher was without referring to fires or putting out fire. And so that, I think the, the side chain to me is Bitcoin was invented, but then people started to say, well, what about these other things? What about this other stuff? What about the ZK snarks? What about ring signatures? What about, uh, you know, like all these people had all these intriguing ideas, most of which were bad, but some of which were pretty interesting. It was a very creative place back then, as you may remember. Like mm -hmm. 2014, 2013, 2012, there was like a lot of stuff coming out. Some of it bad, but it was uh, creative. There was a lot of growth. <clears throat> and um, so the sidechain allows you to just send your coins to a completely new piece of software that has its own blockchain. So it's altcoins without the coin. So it's just like you say Monero, but with Bitcoin, or Ethereum, but with Bitcoin. So you have the EVM. You have everything you have on Ethereum, but there's no ETH. There's no ETH. It's only B it's only BTC. And that's what it is to me is this universal altcoin simulator mm. for Bitcoin. 
But I don't know. Then the, the term has now been ruined by everyone else. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, that seems like a, a fair enough de- definition. And I guess the difference between a, say, a Bitcoin sidechain in theory and something like Litecoin is that first off, your units that you're playing with, the units of money, are denominated in Bitcoin. So they, if you care about the scarcity and value and stuff of Bitcoin, you don't have to give that up necessarily. And then the other might be you can always redeem them for actual Bitcoin on the main Bitcoin blockchain. Mm-hmm. And I guess with, with those, do you think that would be an accurate way of kind of uh, the, the two main things that would separate uh, like a side chain from a completely different uh, chain as far as the value proposition? Yeah, like with a side chain, you introduce a new dimension of competition. So the side chains are, are rivalrous. None can exist while the other lives, you know? So mm-hmm. they're in conflict. They're, they're, in, they're fighting a war against each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's bad. And it also, it doesn't really help you get the new feature. So, for example, uh, you, if, you, if you preferred large block Bitcoin and you switch to Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV, you got the feature, but you lose whatever, 90% of your plus percent of your wealth against BTC. Mm-hmm. So the sidechain prevents that from happening. It says you will never be harmed as a result of trying the new software because it's a one-to-one exchange one-to-one exchange there and back so no one will ever be harmed the only really way to make the only real way to make sure that no one is harmed when you interoperate is to make sure that no one gains either you know what i mean you can't have like a one-to-one peg in one direction and a ten-to-one in the other direction it has to be just one-to-one it's symmetric Mm -hmm. and this is just you saying that four quarters equals a dollar and a dollar equals a hundred pennies. Yep. You say, yeah, I, I can always interoperate these different media. You know, I, you go to the ATM, you withdraw twenty dollars. Your checking account balance goes down by twenty dollars. You get one twenty dollar bill. If you put the twenty dollar bill in back, it's so it all adds up. It's all kept. It's all exchanges at par, one to one. And that's how you have lots of different systems work without having the exchange rate appreciation or depreciation, which is, which people just don't like. They don't like volatility as it is, so you don't add more. Yeah. You, you want the competition to be on the feature only. You don't want it mm-hmm. to be a function of other things. Like when the exchange rate is a function of many things, just as, such as like recognizability or just association, like the network effect. You want someone to say, okay, even though this is a tiny network, that's not that popular, that no one has heard of, you can still use it for the feature and you are left no worse off than you were before. So it, it sort of sterilizes the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the competition. competition. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, you have a USB port, ports on your computer and you buy USB appliance, like, you know, webcam or something. You don't want it to compete on the port. You only want it to compete on... <laughs> What you want to compete on. If you have to switch too many things, it stops being viable. Like if you have a, what if you have a car that it has four wheels and it runs on the road, but it, it needs a different kind of fuel than exists in America. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have to build a whole new fuel network. So Elon Musk kind of did this with the supercharger network, but it's very difficult to do this kind of thing. Like this is a big job. Yeah. 
you got to pay, you got to build a car and the supercharger network. And the only way it was viable was because he sold like luxury cars in a few places first. And you have to slowly build this, this new network up. The network means that you're affected by what other people do. Mm -hmm. And so if you go somewhere and the, you know, you go to the laundromat and it only takes quarters and you have a hundred dollar bill, then you don't have any money. And so you want to be able to switch back and switching back and forth just means that you, uh, it kind of like means that it's still Bitcoin everywhere, even though it takes a different form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when Bitcoin, just like 25 cents to $1. Yeah. So we're talking about drive chains. Yeah. So what exactly is a drive chain and kind of how does it work? Well, it's a piece of software. It's kind of a lot like an altcoin, but it has a couple modifications. So there's no, it doesn't release, it doesn't mint any coins. It's a merge mined with Bitcoin, just like Namecoin is. And merge mining was invented by Satoshi. We can get into that. It's kind of an interesting topic all by itself. And then uh, when you, it has a, a feature where it, it looks, this software looks to Bitcoin Core. It looks around for Bitcoin Core full node. So every sidechain full node is a Bitcoin Core full node, mm -hmm. but not the reverse. You can run Bitcoin Core without running the sidechain. Mm -hmm. And it's it's the the sidechain software is looks to Bitcoin Core and it notices when coins have been deposited into it. So when that happens, it credits you on the sidechain. So if you have L five L one coins and you deposit them into the sidechain on L1, then the sidechain will notice and it will print the five coins, so to speak. It's really just moving them across, but it conjures the five new sidechain coins over there. Well, if you want to move them out of the L1 script where they're essentially, you know, they're essentially dead coins, it's as if they're taken out of the game because no, mm -hmm. they can only be spent, uh, if they are spent then they are removed from that. So you're gonna move them back from sidechain to main chain, you destroy the sidechain coins in a special way and then pays out on L1. And then, so this is, the coin is moving across networks. Mm -hmm. Literally under the hood, it is like going into a, like a lockbox and then kind of coming out or being whatever, but that doesn't really matter because mm -hmm. while the coin is in the L1 script, it cannot be given to anyone else without destroying it on the sidechain coin. So it has, it has literally moved across the same way that you still have a dollar when you have four quarters versus $1 bill, it's, it's still one uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's almost like minting an IOU or a balance or something. Well, in a way, uh, it's true that it, it, it is true that the sidechain coins will not necessarily, there's some risk always in using any system, including the Lightning mm -hmm. Network, including whatever, including cash. Like you may... It depends on which way you, you think about it as upside down or right side up, but it's sort of like you might always be able to go. It could always be the case that you think you can go to the ATM and get cash out, but then you can't. Mm -hmm. This would be the failure of the peg. But if the peg is working, then that the idea is that the dollar has literally moved from cash into a checking account or has literally moved from a checking account into a brokerage account or a money market account or something. The dollar is mm -hmm. literally moving around. Yeah, and I put, the, people say, well, I put I put twenty dollars into my checking account." Yeah, and so when you do literally that, true. you take twenty, like a paper piece of twenty, and you give it to the bank. It's still there, but then 
the bank mints digital tokens representing right. the 20. They, and if you they close mint your, account, your checking account and then they they destroy some of your checking account mm. and then they give you back the cash. Yeah. yeah. And so we're talking about nodes and things like that. As far as block producing and running the actual um, the actual network. Um, so is it a, this is where it gets a little like, I guess, nuanced, right? So if it's merged mined, right, it's mined together with Bitcoin. Yes. Um, ne not necessarily every Bitcoin. So every Bitcoin miner contributes to its security, I would suppose. But as far as being a block producer and collecting fees for transactions and all that, what entity does that? Well, it's uh, it's kind of like um, it's really the same as with regular Bitcoin, where the but there's this thing. The way merge mining works is it has incentives to reach this sort of equilibrium, mm -hmm. and I have this other idea called blind merge mining, which just kind of keeps everything nice and tidy in that equilibrium state, and it's just better for everyone. So it's where the miners don't pay any of the node cost. So I'm not sure really um, how to answer your question, but the it's it's like the sidechain network runs its own nodes. So anyone who wants a, a wallet or a full node wallet, you know, like that is a fully validating wallet, they would need a node the same way on Bitcoin. And so they, uh, they have a mempool, they collect new transactions and they know where, you know, where, if those are going to fall into the next block or not. Mm -hmm. And then, um, in a blind merge mining, what happens is the node will kind of work with the, it will connect to a layer one miner and it will say, I have this block, the sidechain block. It's worth like $50 or something. I'll pay you $49 on L1, but just merge mine this block with me and I'll get the $50 on L2. Hmm. In uh, broad strokes, that is how it works. Yeah, and that's because the miners don't want to pay. Miners will minimize their costs always, so they mm -hmm. will eventually. If there's a bunch of people running nodes and they don't want to, I mean, it's completely plausible that miners, while the full node costs so low, or even forever, the miners may just run all the nodes. In which case, it'll be exactly the same as it is with Namecoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, miners don't necessarily have to run nodes, but. That would be a logical conclusion if this is successful. They want the merge mining revenues from the side chains. The blind merge mining lets them get those without, um, like doing any of the node work, and they don't need to because there's already a bunch of people running nodes for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's I don't know if people will get lost on that. That's not actually see. Uh, uh, blind merge mining is not required for a side chain or drive. Uh, I guess drive chain is sort of defined as having it, but I think the, I don't think merge mining, I think is difficult to explain and people don't really understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the work done when people mine in Bitcoin, like the SHA 256 D the hashing, like all the electricity and all the ASICs, none of that has anything to do with the construction of the block or its validity. Yeah, that's all an anti-Sybil mechanism. Yeah, it's all about meeting the difficulty requirement, which is like a completely different thing. Mm. And so uh, that all of that has nothing to do with like the merge mining. It's easy for miners to mine many, many different blockchains at once. They just take this little block template or this little block header 
which is 80 bytes or 200 bytes. It's a tiny, tiny piece of information. It's your full node that does all the work of like downloading every block and validating it and validating the proof of work. But the proof of work is it's upside down. They don't they don't actually it doesn't cost miners anything to mine many blockchains at once, which is very counterintuitive for people, but that is the, it is the case. Yeah, and so now that you, that's like the security mechanism, um, who collects fees for how does the fee mechanism work for these transactions? Well, layer one, layer one miners should get all the fees. Mm-hmm. So it's really exactly the same as just regular mining, mm-hmm. where you pay the, on L2. Either the miner mines the block, mines both blocks at once, and they just collect the, all the fees on L1 and all the fees on L2. That's how it works with Namecoin right now. Or uh, they, with blind merge mining, someone, someone else, it's a specialization of labor. Someone else builds mm-hmm. the sidechain block and pays themselves all the fees. But in order to make sure that that block is mined, they go to the L1 miners and they say, put this little code in to the L1 block. And so they kind of bid that up. Mm-hmm. And, and the, since it's very competitive, as long as at least two people bid, it should be like 99%. You know, 99% of the fees should be going to the, the layer one miner. Yeah. And so what's the process for L2 fees? going to l1 miners so like if i let's say i got one bitcoin on a, a drive chain and i send it a bunch of times and then that bitcoin is slightly diminished because i pay fees when i send it around yes and those are l2 fees but so yes. how does that end up on l1 in the miners pocket the the total if you look at the whole l2 block if we just look mm-hmm. at one block at a time then maybe that block is paid. Let's call it. Let's just call it three Bitcoin in, in total fees. There's mm-hmm. there's ten thousand transactions in that block or something. There's a hundred thousand transactions each pay three one hundred thousandths of a BTC. And so the whole block is paying in its own Coinbase three Bitcoin in fees. Mm. Uh, so that's. That's just the next block is what it is. Now, what would happen is there'd be many different sidechain nodes. It's called A, B, C, D, E, F, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Each of them builds the block, paying themselves the three Bitcoin. So A1 says, A's Coinbase says, pay three Bitcoin to A, and then include all these other transactions worth three. And same for B. B says, pay the three Bitcoin to B, B's public key. And then include all this. So the, all these blocks are all candidates for the next block, and they all have different hash because they have a different Merkle root. Mm-hmm. Because they have a different Coinbase, and they also may have de- de- slightly different details. But the point is, these are all blocks that contain the three bitcoins worth of transaction fees, and then they're each paying paying to A, paying to B, paying to C. So it's like the blockchain is, it reached its end, but then it has a bunch of options. A, B, C, D, E, F, mm-hmm. whatever. This is how it will continue. In blind merge mining, the way a sidechain block meets the, perf- the difficulty requirement is by having a special code in the, the parallel L1 block. Okay. So you have L1, you have all the L1, each L1 block has an L2 block above it. 
L1, 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 L2, 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 L2. So the next L1 block is found. The sidechain software will look in there and see, oh, did we also find a sidechain block in this L1 block? It will say, it will, what it will really do is we'll ask your L1 node. It will say, is there, are there sidechain blocks in this L1 node? Is there a sidechain like block hash, basically? Mm -hmm. And if there is, then that's the next sidechain block that meets the its version of the proof of work requirement, but not the validity requirement. I don't know if this is getting confusing or not. But, you know, like the way it works with Bitcoin is it's whether or not yeah. the header hashes to the right number of zeros. That's the proof of that's the difficulty requirement. But that doesn't mean the block is valid. The block could have people stealing each other's money or other counterfeiting, breaking the rules. So when you find the L, new L1 block and it has a little code in there, you have found a new sidechain block that meets the, the mm -hmm. difficulty requirement, but you still have to download that block and check to make sure it could be invalid, in which case you would say mm -hmm. not even a real sidechain block. You'd orphan yeah. that off. You'd go back. You'd say instead of referring this block, it's not a real block. You refer to the previous block and you would... You would orphan that block out. And so it's not until that, that happens that it's not until you download the sidechain block that it becomes fully validated block and the blockchain advances to that state. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think uh, it does. So, so as long as you understand all that, then you should be able to understand that the sidechain block is worth three on L2. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it from A's point of view, A, B, C, D, a would really prefer to have theirs be the code in L1 because they're going to get three Bitcoin if it is. If it's B's instead, then A gets nothing. Mm. They built a block, but it doesn't... They built a block, but their software is just keeping track of the mempool. It's doing normal full node things, you know? Yeah. It's not really doing anything interesting, so it, uh, so it kind of builds this block the same way that every full node does a full node tracks the mempool and it keeps track of what what the next block will probably be does stuff like there's like bloom filters and things you know like yeah, uh, was that like x thin and things so like to try and make it so that you don't have to download the whole block so it's already doing all this anyway mm -hmm. but it's saying listen i would really prefer it to be my block i get three bitcoin if it's mine and mm -hmm. B is thinking that, and C is also thinking that. And D is thinking, I don't want it to be A, B, or C. I want it to be mm -hmm. my block. So this, the idea is these people go to L1, and they just start bidding to the miners. They say, listen, it's a special type of transaction in, in BIP 301, my mm -hmm. other BIP. And this transaction has the property that it, it's a lot like a bid, where the only, the only one can be included in a block, like per sidechain slot or whatever. So the, logically, the miners would only take the one that pays the bid that pays them the most money. Mm -hmm. They're free to take whichever one they want. They can only take one. Once they take one, it it banishes, it excludes all the others. Yeah. So this encourages you to submit bids all the time. Submit many bids. Submit as many bids as you want. Bid 2.8, 2.9, 2.99, 2.991, You mm -hmm. bid up because only one of these is making it in. And then they take the one that pays the most. And that is how the miners get the coins on L1 without even running the sidechain node, if they wish. Yeah. And so let's just imagine only one Bitcoin goes into this sidechain. So that one Bitcoin is locked up, and then the one Bitcoin worth of sidechain representation is minted. And say that those transactions on the drive chain go back and forth and spend 10% 
of the uh, of the entire one Bitcoin in fees over a certain period of time. Now, would that mean that the locked up one Bitcoin on L1 that's representing this, does that mean that some of those get siphoned out to the miners in fees? No, it does not. But that's a good question because mm. what's happening is it's different L1 coins are mm. in blind merge mining. Because remember, the L2 coins are not traveling back to L1 in mm. blind merge mining. There's, it's D, A, B, C, or D, or E, or something. They build the block, and A, A has a public key over on L2, and that is collecting the, the, the bona fide transaction fees of that block. Mm -hmm. So you see nothing is actually moving from L2 to L1 yet. Mm. Yeah, it just, it's this kind is, of earmarked. Almost. The deposits and withdrawals is a different completely different thing from the merge mining merge mining has already been done with altcoins mm -hmm. it's been done with namecoin or whatever so the merge mining does not move the coin because remember you're paying over there you pay three bitcoin in fees right mm -hmm. and that's people on l2 that have paid three bitcoin in their hundred thousand transactions they each pay three one hundred thousandth of a bitcoin mm -hmm. That's people on L2 losing that money, and then that money goes on L2 to, like, whatever, A's public key on L2. Mm -hmm. So this is just a rearrangement of coins on L2. So the side chain, so the, whatever, the same, no, no coins have been withdrawn or deposited. Mm. But someone, A, was paid on L2, and then a different, this is the whole point that it works, is that the same A, it's the same person, mm -hmm. the same individual, but not the same blockchain system. This is actually how blind, this is the actual design principle of like the why does blind merge mining uh, work or why might it work? Mm -hmm. It's the same A. A has coins, A has, uh, A is running the L2 node and A is also running the L1 node and they also have L1 coins. So since it's the same person, it bridges the gap between the two networks because it's the same person. They say, mm -hmm. I will pay on L1 as long as I am paid on L2. So they are the magic bridge that uh, communicates all this info. Yeah, and so uh, obviously Bitcoin has a 10-minute block interval. Every 10 minutes, yes. roughly, blocks come through. Uh, does that is that forcibly applied to all drive chains? or is it By no? default, yes, but you can modify it if you are absolutely determined. But I, <laughs> I don't know if... I think the people who want that are just kind of a little confused about what they want. But uh, there's no denying that some people prefer the faster block times of Ethereum or even other networks. But I really just don't think, like, there's many situations where, uh, there's situations where, like, well, what am I trying to say? Like, it's like if you buy in many situations where it doesn't matter. Like if you buy coffee, they have your face on the security camera. If you buy mm -hmm. on Amazon, they they will just cancel the order if it's so it's very rare that uh people the you really want it to be instant or like even like if if you pay 12 seconds is too long, like whatever mm -hmm, Ethereum type thing. If paying in line at like a grocery store 12 seconds is too long. Mm -hmm. So you either want to go instant or you want to go, or it doesn't really matter. So I don't think the block time is, 
as a solution. Some people say, oh, 10 minutes, it's inconvenient. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I doesn't really, I don't really see it that way. I think yeah. the, because uh, you think about it, like a credit card is reversible for 30 days or 90 days even. Yeah, which is and pretty insane much, to think about. <laughs> it is. And so uh, I think the 10-minute block time was chosen for a very good reason. Yeah, and so uh, that's kind of like the basics of how the whole merge mining system works. Or sorry, the whole um, drive chain basic system works. So then basically you can create yeah, a, different, a different Bitcoin um, and all like a different Bitcoin on top of Bitcoin with different characteristics. So like the most simple one might be let's have a significantly larger block size. So we can send lots of little trans, lots of small cheap payments, and so the yes. only it would otherwise be basically the drive chain would be almost a copy of original Bitcoin, except now the drive chain blocks would then be much smaller. I'm oh, sorry, much larger. Larger, yes. Well, this is uh, important because it highlights what why we would have sidechains or even altcoins at all, which is because there's a dispute over what the blockchain should contain. Mm -hmm. And we want everyone to be, uh, we want everyone to be invited to our party, but we also don't want anyone to just be able to change the properties of the, the blockchain. So it's like, what do we do? This was the first, like both historically, it was the first dispute, of course, the first big dispute in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. like the block size war. So the question is, what should we do? Should we, uh, you know, do we change Bitcoin's block size from the one megabyte to something else? Or was that a change to make it from what it was to one megabyte? And the question is, what do we do? Some people prefer it one way. Other people prefer it another way. The side chains, let's have it both ways. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Yeah. And so uh, basically, if some people don't trust the, I guess, the centralization issues that are perceived or, or real of having a small of a large block, then they don't have to use the second layer at all. They can just use the main layer. But if people are kind of more comfortable with uh, kind of fewer entities managing the drive chain, then they can use that. Is that kind of how that breaks down? Uh, well, what did you mean? Fewer entities? What does that mean? Well, the, the whole block size argument thing, the, I mean, obviously it's gone in a million different directions, but the biggest argument is bigger blocks will mean fewer entities can run nodes, therefore yeah, less centralized. More expensive. Yeah, more expensive to run a node. Yeah. And so I suppose that would be fewer nodes for the drive chain specifically if the block. Yes. In fact, again, every sidechain node, it must also be an L1 node. So it's mm -hmm. impossible for there to be more L2 nodes than L1 nodes, no matter how cheap it is to run the L2 node. Yeah. And so if you want to, uh, if you basically, let's say there's 10,000 Bitcoin nodes, let's just throw that number out there. Mm -hmm. If there's yes. 10,000 L1 nodes and anyone can run one on a Raspberry Pi, everyone's happy with that. But then if someone, if there's, let's say, only like 300 of a certain high-scaling uh, drive chain, there's only 300 of those nodes, some people might be comfortable with that and just say, I'm going to use that drive chain because it's fast and cheap. And others might say, no, that's too centralized. I'm just going to stick with L1. Is that kind of the way the, the, the split kind of um, shakes out maybe in terms of what people want? 
Yes, I think it's not only uh, people are very different. You know, they have very different circumstances. So, like some people have faster internet. You know, mm-hmm. some people have slower internet. Some people are more. Some people it's easier for them to pay transaction fees. Other people it's not. Some people have to combine many inputs when they make a Bitcoin transaction, and other people don't. Mm-hmm. And so there is like. Um, people are very different and transactions are very different as well. Like not every transaction requires a, a large degree of centralization. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, some people like when, if you're just buying coffee, then it doesn't really matter. But if you are trying, if you're on the run and you're fleeing North Korea or something, then it matters. Mm-hmm. So the privacy also matters differently. If you're on the dark net market doing something shady, then the privacy matters a lot. Or if you're donating to like some kind of politically subversive cause, privacy matters a lot. But if you're just buying coffee, then it doesn't. The privacy is already foobar, so it doesn't matter. And it doesn't make any difference. So there's people are very different types of people. Mm-hmm. And just having different, these kinds of solutions let people choose one or choose the other possibly. Yeah, well, like, in, of course, as the case may be, some may be better than others. You see what it, like, um, like, you know, you have cash in your wallet for spending purposes or, you know, you have a credit card or you use a wire transfer for some different things. So you use different things uh, as the case may be. You don't always pay for everything with like the one system, although maybe that will change with stuff like WeChat Pay and like a CBDC or something. They'll, I'm sure they're just trying to get all that to be like universally standardized. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the uh, one of the drawbacks of most, I guess, layer two type solutions or the layer two scaling approach, I guess, is that it becomes more difficult to um, sort of maintain the same security level and sustainability level on L1 if you siphon fees off. Obviously, with drive chains, pay all that money to L1 then that's not necessarily a problem anymore, but it's it's kind of sustainable all around. Uh, now, when a, people have very specific, I guess, objections to using something like a drive chain, they say they don't, uh, and they run their nodes that are just Bitcoin nodes and not a drive chain node, etc. Is there ever a point where it, completely ignoring the existence of drive chains and trying to be in the L1 Bitcoin maxi world, is there ever... Is there ever a point where those kind of worlds necessarily collide in a way that some people might not want them to? Like, can they ignore drive? If drive chains are on Bitcoin, can drive chain haters ignore them forever? Well, I think so. Uh, I think the question of ignore, of course, the, you have to be very precise about this definition because you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. can you ignore Michael Jackson forever or something, or J.K. Rowling or something? You know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. in some sense, no. <laughs> yeah. In some sense, yes. Like, you know, like Michael Jackson's not going to affect your life, but but it's kind of like it, you have to narrowly take the task of running the uh, layer fully validating L1 node because that was the whole dispute of the block size. It said we don't want that to get more difficult. Mm-hmm. And that thing does not require any sidechain software be run ever mm-hmm. to be fully validating on L1, deposits and withdrawals. It does the deposits and the withdrawals without looking at the sidechain software. Mm-hmm. So the layer one full node is 
completely ignorant of and that's the whole point now it's like it's kind of like will individual people be like what if you make a side chain that's so popular that everyone in the entire world has heard of it and they all love it so much it's kind of like um i don't know like there's many other senses in which you could use like english words like affected mm -hmm. you know when they affected by whatever yeah. like i don't care because the the point is uh, is what what running an L1 node is unharmed. It does not become more expensive as a result of anything any sidechain does. Mm -hmm. So that is the whole point. And everything else is uh, unfortunately uh, very distracting and misleading because people say like, oh, what about the miners will make a lot of money from these sidechains? Or what about like, like, like it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Yeah, merge mining is mining. It's just c collecting money from people. They already merged mine altcoins. Already merged my name coin. Um, my, it's good for miners to get more money. Layer one nodes <laughs> will reject a block, an L1 block, if it is mined and it doesn't follow the L1 rules. So again, we're just staying very narrowly focused on the L1 protocol. The L1 protocol is not affected by anything that a sidechain does. It's theoretically possible that the protocol will be so good that all Bitcoin will be deposited on L1 into this sidechain, but that's still following all the L1 rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in that uh, hypothetical situation, in pure, purely tech, on a technical sense, it is still an L2, but in a practical sense, it's almost like Bitcoin is just this now. Become the new thing. And of course, that is... Um, if that were the case, that then luckily, lucky for everyone that I set things up this way, because the only other way that something else could be that popular would imply that it, you know, it, that, you know what I mean? Imagine if it were an altcoin that were so popular that Bitcoiners voluntarily abandoned the BTC protocol for this altcoin protocol. Uh, in that scenario, BTC has collapsed and goes to zero and the L1 is dead. Whereas in, in my scenario, you can always go back to the L1 whenever you want. And so the L1 is always safe and immortal. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, one of the biggest um, challenges, I guess, of using multiple cryptocurrencies, as well as an inherent, I guess, drawback of multiple layer scaling is the kind of uh, user experience uh, bifurcation where right now I can spend Bitcoin at any place that takes Bitcoin, but I can't use Lightning in all those places because mm -hmm. many of them are not set up for that. Or I can use Bitcoin, I can use Dash, I can use Zcash, I can use Monero, I can use a bunch at a few merchants, but then other ones are just like Bitcoin and Litecoin, say. And so right. at the overwhelming network effects of Bitcoin if you create a, a sidechain or a layer two or lightning or whatever, instantly it kind of splits the network effect a little bit and kind of does that rather than if you just upgraded all of Bitcoin, for example, to have these properties, then you wouldn't really have to change. You wouldn't have to like start from zero with adoption necessarily. I wouldn't say zero, but start with, start with give a fresh adoption start for the, the, the drive chain. So do you think that that could be a barrier of adoption if, let's say, there's fast, cheap, and private Bitcoin on a drive chain? Mm -hmm. um, yes. And then, but then you can't use it anywhere because everywhere you want to use it only accepts L1 Bitcoin. You have to 
plead with all these exchanges. Please, can you just let me deposit this one or go to this merchant and say, please, can you add this? Well, yes, but I think it's the, the whole point of sidechains is to reduce that problem, basically. Because mm -hmm. think about it. It's like saying, it's a little bit like, you know, it's like when you go to a merchant, they do they take Visa, do they take MasterCard? Or even in an extreme case, you go to the, you're pleading with the laundromat and you say, I, I don't have any quarters, but I have a $20 bill or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the merchant has an incentive to be open to all methods of payment that are kind of reasonable to it. Now, not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll accept, you know, Bitcoin, Lightning, anything else quickly. Uh, but my guess is the one-to-one -one peg makes makes it easier. So mm -hmm. I think uh, I think basically there'll be something like BitPay, where you just go and uh, they it'll just do everything. It'll accept Lightning, L2, whatever, and it will just figure it out behind the scenes and give the merchant cash the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, the exchanges you don't really need to beg the exchanges, right? Because you can buy the thing. You buy whatever the L1, mm -hmm. and then using the software, you just convert it from L1 to L2 mm -hmm. or back. And so that, so you have, a, you always have a way. You always have like infinite liquidity, since you yourself can. You don't need to find someone who will swap 14 L1 BTC to 14 L2 BTC. You can do that all by yourself without, without anyone's help. So I agree that uh, it, the user experience, it, yeah, users obviously get more annoyed often when there are more choices. Mm -hmm. uh, this is partially why I think probably like Fediment probably won't work mm -hmm. because when you turn it on, you have to pick your group of people that can all steal from you. And people <laughs> just think you're like, I don't want to pick anything. Or just close yeah, the application. So I think uh, that, so people don't like choice. And uh, my guess is that it will be slightly annoying at first, but probably it will, for that reason, it will standardize around the backup payments chain or something. You know what I mean? Like they mm -hmm. probably won't be paid in the Zcash side chain, the merchants, because it just looks weird. Mm -hmm. The Zcash side chain is something people use in the privacy of their own homes, maybe. Or on the market or something like that. So. I think uh, I think you're right, but that is also why we won't just have like seven thousand side chains. We'll just only have like whatever ten or twelve or something. Yeah, yeah. So, what is the process like from I guess not from a technical perspective necessarily, but from a user experience perspective of bridging to and off of a drive chain? So, like, let's just say I get paid in just regular old L1 Bitcoin. But I, I spend it. I need to live off of the stuff. I need to buy my coffee with it. And so I can't be spending $2 per transaction on a $2 coffee. So I want to bridge right. to the drive chain. So I, I assume I push a button and it... Yeah, you like click a button. Yeah. And then how long until I have those coins and then can use them? That should be more or less instant, but it does take like a, one confirmation to like sort of move over. But you see that every side chain with merge mining... Mm -hmm. It's like the sidechain is connected to the, the sidechain blocks are connected in that one way to the main chain. So it's kind of like if a main chain reorgs, you don't need like you don't need to wait for like six confirmations. I mean, like you could, mm -hmm. but it's like if the if the main chain reorgs, the sidechain will also reorg. Mm -hmm. So it's just like as if it never. It's just canceling. 
no one's really going to get their money stolen from you're just you're sending your money to yourself it's as if you sent a bitcoin transaction to yourself and then there was a reorg mm -hmm. but it, you know it doesn't it doesn't matter so you don't really need to wait six confirmations or any amount of confirmations the software will kind of only display it after like i think like one or two confirmations total to just kind of like make it Mm -hmm. but the deposits are instant and they always work the withdrawals are uh not are very very slow outrageously slow mm -hmm. to discourage regular people from even using this uh, system because only specialists should really do it mm. but the 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 withdrawals are very weird they are you basically the only they're all batched in uh like a little uh container mm -hmm. a little bundle and only one bundle can make it every uh, three to six months. And that is a very slow process. And that is, uh, so the L1 synchronizes the state with L2, but L L1 is never running a sidechain node, so it doesn't know what's happening over there. So we have to shrink this problem from a huge problem of all kinds of chaos, chaotic stuff is happening to just one, uh, we shrink all that to one hash, and then the hash is, Miners, it's a similar thing as blind merge mining, where it's the same miner. A miner is an individual on L1, and they look over at L2. A human being looks over. The, mm -hmm. Not the software. A human being looks over there, and it says, the next hash for the next three months is this. And they put it in L1, and then it synchronizes. It slowly synchronizes, synchronizes up, and then it's uh, once it hits enough uh, three months of being identical hashes uh more or less that's a oh skipping a detail or two but once it does that then the with the giant withdrawal bundle pays everyone out yeah so the withdrawal bundle is that is slow but it's important to keep in mind that um that is just the settlement so anyone on l1 if i have five l1 coins and you have five l2 coins we can just do like a little swap we do hdlc Mm -hmm. We do a little swap. We do a classic HDLC, or we just use something like a Shapeshift or a Coinbase or whatever. But mm -hmm. we can also do a cryptographic swap where we say, uh, "I have five L1 coins. I pay them to myself after two days. I pay them to you if the hash is revealed, R is mm -hmm. revealed, such as R hashes to H. And then once I've done that, you do the same thing to me." You pick the same R and you pick the same same H. You don't know R, but you pick the same mm -hmm. H. You say, okay, I get five L2 coins. I pay them back to myself after two days. I pay them to Paul if R is revealed, such as R has just H. Mm -hmm. It's the same H. So I reveal R and I claim your coins. And then now you know R, you claim my coins. So we do a, a cryptographic swap of the of the coins. Without that's instant also, and that's also trustless. So in that case, the L1 person would charge a fee because it's mm -hmm. instant to go one way, and you can do it yourself. But you can't come back without someone's help. So mm -hmm. it's a kind of like a, it's a kind of like a revolving door on a subway. It only turns one way, and you can only move in the one direction easily. Mm -hmm. To get out, you have to do the turn stuff. So what would happen in practice, I think, is that some rich people would extract a small yield by paying people out constantly. They'd offer a service. They'd be paying mm -hmm. people out on L1. They charge a little fee. They pay people out constantly on L1. They accumulate all kinds of L2 coins, mm -hmm. 
right before the next withdrawal bundle, they would merge all these different outputs. It could be like whatever. Mm -hmm. 2,000 coins, maybe, probably not. But, you know, 2,000 coins, they merge them all into one withdrawal. When the withdrawal is processed, eventually, three months later, 2,000 coins are paid to one UTXO consolidated. So it can, it can consolidate the UTXOs. Mm-hmm. on l2 and then pay that out on l1 so they can actually un- withdraw an unlimited number of coins and it can do that uh with you know it's kind of like this is why it's so slow because we really get to have our cake and eat it too it really doesn't matter yeah. how slow it is everyone's going to use its parallel system that's instantaneous mm-hmm. and so the, the slowness is great because it's free it's mm-hmm. essentially free it involves other steps but and the slower it is it just makes it much easier for the side chain to be policed Without L1 uh, having to do do the effort of actually downloading every sidechain block and checking every sidechain message, because the whole thing is reduced to these rare check-ins, this rare mm-hmm. state, which is a hash, and then that's inserted uh, on L1. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the idea. So this idea may not work, but I, you know, I certainly think we should try it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has many advantages because, of course, the the sidechain vision is there shouldn't be any altcoins. There shouldn't be any governance on L1. Anyone who wants to just release a new piece of software, like it shouldn't be any kind of like mm-hmm. block size debate. Mm-hmm. Someone should just make large block version and no talking. You know what I mean? Just see if it like, can get people to use make it. it. If you get people to use it, right. Miners mm-hmm. should collect transaction fees from every chain. So the miners should be pro growth. They shouldn't just be minimizing their costs and hashing. They should also be trying to maximize usage of Bitcoin. You know, they should be like Roger Veering it. They should be like going around. They should be, they should vertically integrate with BitPay, you know, try to get Amazon to take Bitcoin because it will increase their revenues. Mm-hmm. So we want that. We want instant global scale. We want instant Zcash privacy. We want all these weird experiments like a, a storage file coin, whatever, Ethereum. Mm-hmm. We want all that to just be on Bitcoin. So that that's the vision. And so I think it's, uh, and this, there's also no real risk because you can just try this idea. And then uh, if it doesn't work for some reason, it can just like be shut off easily. So, mm-hmm. so there's a huge upside and low risk. But what I didn't count on was the, uh, the uh, tribalism and how far the toxicity mm-hmm. and whatever had spread, which is that people think anything that allows an altcoiner to get what they want, it must be bad. Yeah, of course. Anything that, says, anything that says, suggests that Bitcoin core is imperfect, it must be bad. It must be saboteur from the large blocker world or something. Well, that's so very that, was the only, that was the main flaw, but so hopefully this makes some sense. Yeah, well, that's the main, I guess, the main point is it's almost like riding around a governance problem. But I guess before yes. we get into that aspect, um, what, is the, what is the process for implementing this on Bitcoin? Like, let, let's just say I'm like sold. I want my fast, easy, not terrible lightning network type thing. I want that on Bitcoin today. Yeah. And how do I how do we get it done? And what are the like what's the process for implementing a drive chain? And what are the roadblocks to actually implementing it? The uh, well, the you know, Bit three hundred is a soft fork, and, and those used to be done frequently. Mm-hmm. It used to be hard fork can never be done. Soft mm-hmm. fork can be done though. And in fact, I, when I wrote this in November twenty fifteen, the next month, December twenty fifteen, we did like three soft forks mm-hmm. in that one month. And uh, so that used to be. Now, with the cases, hard fork is impossible. Soft fork is also impossible, basically. But 
it's ironic because the soft fork is actually very easy and uh soft fork is uh only requires 51 percent of miners and some users to enforce mm -hmm. the ideal thing would be of course to have the bitcoin community like widely support this and also just popularize it and tell everyone about it stuff like that mm -hmm. so that would be ideal the minimum amount would be to just have a bunch of miners you know 51 percent of miners get enough get enough pools to uh switch to the software that enforces the rule mm -hmm. activate and then that, that would be like the bare minimum yeah so let's just say you can get 55 percent of the hash rate let's just say to agree yes. to implement this uh what can be what would the uh, what could let's say the other 45 percent isn't just not in favor of this they're very much militantly not. against against yes. yeah they don't want to so, see anyone it's kind of like a sort of like a gay marriage situation where it's yeah, kind of, of like course. they're not getting gay married and they don't want to see any of them either you know it's kind of like starts across the line of liberalism at some point but we'll, of course. we cannot really get into that but yeah so like so it's like if op not five is do? used for yeah, the op drive team it? yeah they would like they could run something that just says op5 can never be used in a transaction or that uh, is invalid so what they would do is they'd say any block any l1 block that has any drive chain shaped message in it at all that just invalidates the block mm -hmm. and weirdly this is a lot like this is exactly like um See, because the way the soft fork normally works is you take an on something that's unused and you shrink it to the size that you want. Mm -hmm. And that way, only rule breaking is banned on the new people who have opted into the new opcode or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but what the, uh, the resistors would do is they would say, anyone who uses this thing, that's banned. And in so doing, they would put themselves on a different network, which ironically, this is even though this would be a soft fork from the tightening the rules perspective, it's actually a hard fork from the older definition of only the people who have upgraded are on your network. So this is quite, this has blown, I think Twitter doesn't know what to make of this because the uh, whole language around so soft and hard forks was never mm -hmm. actually standardized in a good way. Mm -hmm. So if you like, I can go into this philosophical topic, or if you just want to ask more practical questions, I can try to answer those as well. But this is the soft fork and hard fork has two definitions that are mostly the same, but are in this case, the, actually the exact opposite. Mm. Yeah, well, before I guess hitting in that thing, so it seems like that does seem reminiscent of the whole user activated soft fork thing from back in the day, right? Where But it's quite different though, because yeah. in that case, if you did nothing, you were on the UASF mm -hmm. chain. Yeah. Uh by default. Because your so your software was interoperable. Mm. The only thing your UASF would reject would be if miners refused to signal. Now, if the miners refuse to signal and activate SegWeb. If that happened, you would see that, uh, and like, so what I'm saying is if you ran UASF and no miners ran the UASF mm -hmm. and 51% not only didn't run the UASF, but they also 
they were basically they broke the segment. They decided not to enforce segment rules. Mm -hmm. uh, so all the people who have never upgraded, all the people running old versions, all the people who are indifferent, all the people who have taken no action, they will end up on the minor chain since the minor chain is indifferent. Everyone who's not running the UASF is indifferent between the two. And everyone who's indifferent between the segment rules is not, it will still follow the longest chain. So they're with the miners. So the UASF, everyone is on the, uh, every, the UASF, everyone is on, can be on either chain if you don't run it. Uh, this is not, maybe I'm not doing a very good job of explaining yeah. this. I'm sure people are probably going to be really confused by this, unfortunately. So, but the UASF, the point of the UASF was that you are saying you want them forced the miners to adopt SegWit and you will forge your own, you basically, the UASF was honestly like, there was a hard fork by the old, uh, uh, by the old definition also. So uh, it was kind of like hard to say because what I'm getting at is the only situation when the UASF means anything is when the miners disagree with the users. Mm -hmm. And in that case, only the people who have upgraded to the UASF are on that network. So it's a lot like Bitcoin Cash in that way. <laughs> yeah. Very bizarre. But I don't know if this is being, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining why that is. Well, so the, the part, the, the point that I guess I delayed a little bit in asking about how it's activated is it seems like it's kind of a, a governance route more than anything, the dry chain approach, because to a certain extent, again, maybe you know, I'm oversimplifying parts of it, but it seems like the big thing is what should Bitcoin do? And people can't necessarily agree or they don't want to change or enough people right. don't want to change it. And this is kind of lets Bitcoin not change, but still change at the same time. Correct. It kind of routes around having to do the, the governance question. Um, right. And in a way, yeah. oh, well, let me just in interrupt you because I think you're on the right track absolutely where it's kind of like we're in we're stuck in prison and bitcoin mm -hmm. core and we cannot leave mm -hmm. and i'm saying i have a way i have tunneled a way out of this prison for everyone anyone who wishes to leave and then come back at any time can now do so now if you think about it if the prison metaphor mm -hmm. it's kind of like the last people that you should go to for permission to use the tunnel would be like the prison warden of course right Exactly. So there's a sense in which BIP 300 should not activate using any existing like Bitcoin thing. It should like, mm -hmm. it's not because it's, it's it subverts the, the original paradigm of saying, cause I'm saying, I'm not, I'm saying like, we don't, people aren't happy with this software. We're mm -hmm. going to different software. So it's kind of like, uh, in that way, it is like, why would who? Of course, the people running this software will be offended or misunderstand or whatever, because they'll just think, why would anyone want to leave? Isn't it perfect here? Yeah. So that's the issue. Yeah, it's so. Um, obviously, it's a. The there's, there's a clear to some people's minds, at least. To <laughs> I would say the 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 world's the enlightened world's minds. There's a clear kind of a pressure going on where. Bitcoin, there's changes that need to happen around Bitcoin. And the 
I guess the wrong way, one wrong way could be is by using other cryptocurrencies entirely from the Bitcoiner standpoint is right. That's not the right way of doing that from the maximalist, let's say, standpoint. And then the other wrong way of doing things is by changing Bitcoin itself. And that's viewed as right. also wrong. And so this is a way that allows that acknowledges that there are things that need to change, but we can do that without moving from Bitcoin to something else without moving on from Bitcoin completely and also without actually changing Bitcoin at its core. And so it seems like, I guess the, the, the most diplomatic solution, it seems like the win, 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 win solution for a Bitcoin maximalist, except for the acknowledgement that something needs to be different than it is today. And that seems to be the point yeah. of contention, you know? It's basically, it, the, iron, the irony is that it's not even really that, I think, because you could run the old version, since it is a soft fork, you could run mm. the old version and not even enforce Bit300, and then you wouldn't even notice. As far as everyone knows, I activated Bit300 with the miners like six months ago. And mm -hmm. because it's impossible for you to notice whether or not it has been activated, that mm. proves that you aren't a victim. <laughs> of course. Because you have no... There's no empirical, like, you know, it's like someone says, I don't want a robot making my hamburger. And you have two mm -hmm. kitchens, one with a robot and one with a human. And then the trays come out and you, you switch the trays. And then you switch them back. And then you, you say, well, I switched the trays. Actually, a robot made this. You know, it's like, do you, do you know that that was, a, and they added women to orchestras. They had them audition, you know, behind. And they were like, did you know that was a gasp mm -hmm. you know a woman playing the violin or something and they're like oh my god i can't believe it or whatever can you would you believe that you know whatever yeah. like a black man could be a car mechanic or something so it's like it doesn't if you can't tell then mm -hmm. nothing bad is happening to you of course so uh but uh it's kind of like i think more of what it is is that the people have been trained to think of bitcoin core as the best software and everything else is a scam mm-hmm because of course, most of it is most of the other stuff is a scam, but it's 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 for a bad reason. Is because of the scaling war and stuff. People have been trained to say that you just stay here, you just stay in Bitcoin Core, you don't ask too many questions. Uh, so now, even in a case when to get all that other stuff, nothing mm -hmm. is happening to the L1 node. Nothing is happening to the L1 protocol. Like literally nothing. Mm -hmm. um, Still, people feel as though, you know, like the way, how do you rise on the totem pole in the Bitcoin culture? It's by hating on everything. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's no longer by getting merchant adoption. It's no longer by even inventing something cool. You can invent something cool and that's not a guarantee. Like Jeremy Rubin did 119. It's not, it doesn't really work like that anymore. Mm. You get it cool, but you, you stay humble stacks hats. That's one way. If you just buy Bitcoin, so that's, or you just yeah. say that you have, you don't really know who the, who knows if you even have or not, but you say that you have, or you don't say that you are mysterious about it for, so you don't get doxxed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, um, so it's like that. And then it's like, yeah, you're, you're the toxicity and you just, uh, you just be mean to everyone mm -hmm. on Twitter. So that, that is the whole culture has evolved towards that. And, you know, it's whatever it's safety and Amos, it's Samson Mao. Like neither Safety or Samson or a whole list of other people we could name, they, you know, they can't code. They can't. They can't build anything. They but 
they do they do some kind of cultural purpose they uh they are around they just uh they like enforce the the cultural rules of bitcoin and they they are kind of uh they're kind of um they're kind of meme or kind of uh they're like uh, they 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 represent what should be imitated mm -hmm. yeah the, the the cultural leaders more or less oh. right so how big where's that conversation at these days surrounding drive chains i mean obviously first off how long has this conversation been going how many years and well, where, think, would, where is it today do you think well i think like in 2015 people liked it a lot more mm. people really loved it and then some weird stuff happened so like uh, it's 2015 November was right in between the two scaling conferences and it's scaling two. everyone wanted to do SegWit because it was a compromised block size increase. It was a mandatory block size increase. Uh, so that was like, this has all been like erased from history now, but one of the pros of SegWit was that it met large blockers halfway. There was this idea of comp we should compromise, <laughs> which is like, that has been erased of course from history. Uh, for better or for worse, I think you know, probably for worse, we should at least tell the truth about what happened. But it was also that was going to enable lightning. And that was also supposedly that was going to be someone threw out a date like April 1st, that'll be ready. Mm -hmm. Segwit, April 1st, 2016. Then that didn't happen. And then there was a lot of contention. Ethereum was getting big. So then now it, this puts people in a, this is this, this is this, this is my armchair psychology story, hmm. which is that. Of Ethereum starts to get big. Now the sidechain narrative is in trouble because the sidechain narrative says something like all these other chains, all this other software is really cool and we're going to copy it and bring it to Bitcoin. But what people don't want to do is they don't want to admit that Ethereum is cool because if you do admit that, then there might be a runaway uh, snowball effect and then, <laughs> and then Ethereum will flip in BTC and then we'll have killed BTC so people want to stay far away from admitting that the other chain has value. Mm -hmm. So that was bad for the sidechain narrative. And then another terrible thing happened, which was the blockade of SegWit created this miners versus, this was late 2016 into 2017, miners mm -hmm. versus developers type of a thing. So everyone, everyone hated the miners in the BTC world. Mm -hmm. So that was also terrible like not good because the bit 300 is like mining process based and it just says well miners will make all this money so they'll just keep this system on and then yet another bad thing happened which was in 2017 of course the community split mm -hmm. and so again the sidechain idea is kind of like everyone can be happy uh everyone can be happy small blockers and large blockers can work together mm-hmm and um so but then once they split it was kind of like first of all the small blockers are like why do we need to make large blockers happy they're gone now and the large blockers are like why do we need to make small blockers happy we, we forked so the fork made it so that a compromise was no longer uh you know like needed or whatever it was no longer mm -hmm. uh there's no market for that now because everyone thinks I'm going to fight and we're going to win. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I would say like it certainly you look at the market cap 
they did fight and uh, the BTC side defeated the BCH side for a variety of reasons that yeah we could get into some of which many of most I would say most of which have nothing to do with the uh, block size concept itself even though i think they also lost on that concept i think that was also a bad idea because you can have optional large blocks on top of small l1 blocks but you cannot do the reverse so it's an irrational thing to want when Mm -hmm. you could just get everything that you wanted without inconveniencing other people but so i think uh that's a a long story but i'm trying to paint a picture of like this idea competed with segwit which was teed up as the right Mm -hmm. idea in december 2015 and I had only published this late. It was like after Thanksgiving, I think. So it was late November. It was like right before Scaling 2. Mm-hmm. So people were into SegWit, including me, because compromised block size increased, supercharges lightning. So then it was uh, sidechains. To admit that we want sidechains validates other altcoins, namely Ethereum, which had gone from being like 1% of Bitcoin to like 30% of Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. it was like, it like visually on coin market cap like expanded or something yeah, something like that 2016 then this idea was uh, was was harmed by the fact that it was like miner centric and people hated miners in 2017 and then the split again it forces bitcoiners to acknowledge the split made it look like those people didn't really care about what was best for the Bitcoin community or something. They're like in it for themselves. They made these coins. They're lying about, they're reusing the name Bitcoin or something like that. Everyone just thought those other people are bad guys. So we don't, we actually don't, it, it poisoned everything associated with each of the ideas. Everyone was like, the last thing I want to do is make those people happy. Yeah, of course. It's, it's so acrimonious, the split. And then I think like after that, like a uh, Blockstream started to market like Liquid as like a real side chain, even though it basically was not. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was like now this idea is going to go up against uh, Blockstream. It's also going up against Lightning in a way. Mm-hmm. Lightning is very big, so it's had uh, it's had horrendous luck. This idea, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, and uh, like the, each of those things was such a huge problem that I actually I'm not even sure that there would have been anything that I could possibly have done. Yeah, of course. To beat that like stuff culturally. So are you getting much support for this idea today as opposed to other points in the past? Well, yeah, I think there was, when it first came out, people really liked it. And there was, in fact, it was stickied on our Bitcoin from time to time. It actually, it, it lasted until the BCH split, I think. People were saying like, we can actually have both and without we have a small block l1 mm-hmm. a large block l2 and then i think after the split it was kind of like anyone to even push for a large block l2 in a safe way was would have just it was too associated with like trying to get large blocks like it's like oh why do you want large blocks so much what are you one of them or something yeah so i think then it like it kind of f- fell into obscurity and then, uh, and then now, uh, over the last twelve months, it has uh, come come back. Yeah, and so one thing is for sure, right? The the culture of Bitcoin, as we mentioned, has the maximalist culture that seems to drive a lot of what happens and doesn't happen. And at the end of the day, um, seems to be resistant to this for the time being. Now that being said, uh, it's undeniable that. Other projects have 
eaten up bigger and bigger market share to a certain extent. Um, the the adoption metrics that I look at is, for example, actual like usage, and the one of the best ways of finding that is through total fees generated. And basically, right. people are paying ten times as much to use Ethereum than they are Bitcoin right now. And so, and then you're starting to see Ethereum things float into Bitcoin, whether it's the ordinals and things like that and BRC20 tokens and things. And obviously I understand there might've been a, a little bit of a troll element to some of those things, but mm -hmm. still those ideas pick up this way. And over time, there's more and more pressure from the outside to come in. And so at some point, if Bitcoiners start to lose money or relatively lose money compared to other things, that's when the all the maxi posturing starts to maybe crack a little bit yeah well i mean if of course like if ethereum became close to hypothetically if ethereum went close to flipping btc mm -hmm. i think this would people would hit the like they would hit the eject they would dump all of the old philosophy immediately and they would stimulate like a creative search for new ideas yeah uh, i think there's more the ordinals thing is a troll but mm -hmm. There is also a fundamental connection, which is that, first of all, people actually like, they actually do like the uh, the idea of having digital assets, and so did plenty of other people, such as Hal Finney and et cetera, digital crate baseball cards and stuff. Yeah. So people have liked this idea, and they've been trying it forever. They tried it on Bitcoin, colored coins, counterparty, whatever, Omni, whatever. So, yeah. so the idea is very old, and people like the idea, and it's not going away. But... I think the deeper connection is actually that Ethereum likes to do new stuff and likes to experiment with things. And it's just kind of like, lets people do whatever. It's not very judgmental. And I think Bitcoin, of course, does the, sort of the opposite, where it tries to be very conservative. But it, Bitcoin could go too long without something new happening. Mm -hmm. And people, uh, like, you know, they think of it as maybe... It needs to it needs to continue to have like cultural relevance, you know. Mm -hmm. It needs to be out there because it needs to be recognized as money in order to work. So it, it needs to have like a culture, and as a result, it has to have all this stuff, like all these podcasts, all this uh, Twitter addiction, you know. It needs to have all this stuff because you have to make sure you're you're par and when you're a Bitcoiner, you're like a paranoid. You're paranoid of like Bitcoin being like ignored. Mm -hmm. the more attention it gets, the better, and so it's it creates this huge attention economy, this huge attention food chain in Bitcoin. Mm. And it just means that it just gets stuff gets old, you know, yeah. it just gets old. Nothing new has happened in a while. So ordinal is something new. So, Oh, it's a new drama. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically it seems like, uh, something else I also did a, uh, a show on before was the Bitcoin sustainability problem where, you have halvenings, so inflation is going down, and fee revenue is not going up, and it seems to be there's a cap yeah. of how much people will pay for a single on-chain transaction. And so basically there needs to be some kind of a solution that, that, that makes it so that Bitcoin security ticking time bomb gets solved. And so I guess it, it seems to be right now things are okay. Depends on who you're asking, right? Yes, but, right. Yeah, for now. But things are okay. But in a couple years, there's the oh, being overtaken by other projects, 
or just losing security budget and actually diminishing. Those two things are looming on the horizon. And so at that point, when those become a real problem, like a present problem, then it seems like there will have to be a, a, a choice. Either people will have to just abandon Bitcoin and go on to other projects completely, or they will have to make Bitcoin be able to absorb the usefulness of some of these other projects or and or you know become and become sustainable in its own tokenomics and stuff in its own security model so it seems like if i were to break this down simply it's like bitcoin has a couple other years before a couple more years before it has to decide to either die or go with drive chains or something more controversial but drive chains seems to be the least controversial way of getting all these things done yeah i think so i i think that people are really in denial about the security budget situation they don't seem to understand it at all in fact it's already happening like if i went i went to mining disrupt and uh, miners were saying like i don't think the, the satoshi's design it i don't think it actually it planned at all to have minor revenues be cut in half every four years. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is he thought the fee revenues would be going up the whole time. Mm -hmm. He thought the mining, so the, he just kind of thought it would kind of like, it would be, he, I think he thought it would be noisy, you know? Like, um, but as you say, we have fixed L1 block size. Merge mining is not encouraged the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Whereas, to say the least, and so, and people are minimum. The minimum the people are willing to pay only so much for uh, L1 transaction. So this means that the fee picture is frozen at a tiny value. It's very small in U.S. dollar terms. So it's frozen at whatever it is. You know, like I may be like a million dollars a day or something, but it's uh, whatever it is. It's very small in comparison to the block subsidy, the new coins that are created. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think Satoshi had in mind, one would be growing geometrically and noisily mm -hmm. a lot. And the other is having every four years. And he thought like, it goes up, it goes down. But I don't think that he had in mind like, just falling off a cliff. And so anyway, like a lot of the miners say that eventually they will be forced to, or that they will push for, he said there'll eventually be a split in the Bitcoin community where the miners will want to stop the halving from taking place. Eventually they'll freeze it at some lower value, like maybe in eight years or so, they'll just hard fork and they'll say, it's not having again, it's, this is perpetual tail emission. And even people like Peter Todd support this, which yeah, you would course. think would be a fringe idea. So he's doing that. And um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's either something radical like that, like changing the magical 21 million, right. or it's simply allowing for other things to be to be built. Yeah. yeah, and there's really no reason not to do this. Like people yeah. think that there is. They think uh, this is, uh, you know, whatever a risk. Uh, I, I this is again just like you know this is just prejudice. People don't they don't understand the idea. There really is no risk. Mm -hmm. It's not you know it's just an integer accounting to thirteen thousand under the hood. Bridge mining has already been done. 
it's been done for 10 years, 10, 12 years. So, yeah, well, tend to really quick before we wrap up steel man, the critics on this, what's the biggest critic? What's the biggest criticism? Oh, the, critics, the critics say the big criticisms are false, but I can give you them anyway. And then the, yeah, the steel course. man, my steel man would be like something different. It would yeah. be like a different thing. Mm-hmm. Well, first, I, I, don't, I don't want to say some that are some things that are actually true, mm-hmm. but the, the biggest one is that it affect, affects mining incentives. But what people mean by this is, uh, if you actually ask, they are hopelessly confused and they don't know what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. but, but the only way to salvage some meaning from it, which is again, I, they don't even know this, but what they're referring to is they're saying we don't want minor revenues to go up. But that's just like saying they want the security budget problem to be unsolved forever. So if you could really truly steel man it somehow or something, I would say something like it changes the optimal miner from someone who only cares about hashing Mm -hmm. and minimizing their dollar per hash cost, Mm -hmm. minimizing their electricity cost, it changes the, a miner from that and, 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 to, and someone who only choose, chooses the pool based on the pool paying them, pool, pool charging low fees, the pool not doing 51% attacks, the pool, you know, like, you know, doing what they want the pool to do, signaling for soft work they want to do. So they do all this stuff. They minimize their hash costs. They do cooling. They do, they have to worry about security. They have to, sometimes they have to worry about, regulation or mining remember when mining is banned in china and then whatever mm. so so miners have this long list of things that they worry about including they choose which pool to mine and the, that pool may do altcoin merge mining as slush pool did or as brains as it is now called the oldest pool in existence mm-hmm. we do altcoin merge mining it changes the optimal miner from, from that to someone who is that plus they care about which side chains are active and with that type of thing. But, uh, you know, that's not really a change because miners have the list of things a miner has to care about has grown and shrunk and changed, you know, changed shape many times throughout the years and it will continue to do so. So there's really no basis for, in fact, merge mining is great because merge mining is effectively tons of new revenue for free. So merge mining relative, and relatively helps the little guys. It actually helps decentralized mining. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's one. And then the other one is that miners can steal all the coins in the sidechain. But of course, uh, that only impacts people who've chosen to deposit coins on the sidechain. And there's lots of re- the large blockers. They were pro miner. They were pro SPV mode at the time. And this mode is one hash every three months level SPV, which is way more reliable than what large blockers were willingly signing up signing up for over 2015 and not to mention all the other new features that people might get so but in that only one that only affects people who have deposited coins mm-hmm. people say all kinds of other stuff about like oh it gives miners more influence but that's not true because if you don't deposit coins to the 300 script then you're just not using the feature you're just not getting the gay marriage or whatever so it just doesn't affect you at all. But um, uh, I think, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the other steel man. Like, what I just, that, that's what's being, that's what's said, but it's really not 
it's kind of nonsensical. So I can give you like what I what I would worry about is blockchains with no that only rely on fees. Maybe those don't work at all. In which case, this idea won't work. And in which case, Bitcoin also eventually, when the fee, when the the having is so small, mm-hmm. that will also stop working. So we might as well learn it now. We might as well learn about that uh, flaw now. Because so far, there haven't been ex- transaction fee-only blockchains. Mm-hmm. So maybe they just don't really work. Well, they could work. Maybe they don't. I, as a funny, there's one I know of, which is there's a, a cryptocurrency called the the Maya Protocol, which is a fork of ThorChain, which is a cross-chain exchange mechanism. Uh, In Maya launch, it has zero emission, is only fees right now, which... It oh, is, there you go. I should look into that. It is a very interesting dynamic of making the team hustle behind getting this used. Um, yes, know. right. That's what I. That's what. That's the hope for side chains is that mm-hmm. no one makes a stupid scam pump and dump altcoin. They, they only make a side chain that they think people would actually generate usage, and miners would only activate ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I should really look into that. That's uh, I will uh, write mm-hmm. that down. I'll check take a look into that. So yeah, fees may not work. Maybe the whole idea will just be so unpopular that I'll have taken up people's attention mm-hmm. kind of for no reason. Although we, there's plenty of evidence to suggest that's not true. Like you see wrapped Bitcoin is like four or five billion dollars, but wrapped Bitcoin mm-hmm. is basically the same idea, just in reverse. It's like Bitcoin on Ethereum. Yeah. So somehow take uh, Bitcoin and make it more expensive to use. <laughs> yeah. So and then you have stuff like uh, so like wrapped Bitcoin is like 40, 50 times the size of the Lightning Network. You have um problems with the lightning network you have uh more you know there's the you look at coin market cap you see all these other projects that aren't bitcoin you look at the crypto fees more fees mm-hmm. are paid on ethereum than bitcoin um so, yeah. so there's a lot of like you know you, you you look at the people who wanted large blocks or wanted privacy or something almost all those people were Bitcoiners first and they tried to get the idea on Bitcoin, but they just, mm-hmm. they thought it, they found it not to be possible. So you look at all that and you think, well, it doesn't really add up to me. I think it would be slightly popular if it were just, if it, the education were there, I think it would be popular. Yeah. So basically the, the argument might be, it's not as good of a scaling solution as other ones out there and what you're doing is you're taking away attention and capital from things like lightning yeah but i think the interesting thing about that is i actually think it is better scaling and it's it's some people have like you know they have like stock options in companies that are related and i think that's actually the real headwind is that there's some nefariousness some people's reputation will take a hit if this idea succeeds and I think that is actually part of why it's gone a little slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that, like, I think that um, Lightning is very good, but I think Lightning will have a very a weird niche that is smaller than this. I think if this works the way I expect, it would be bigger. It would be a bigger mm-hmm. L2 than Lightning. Uh, Lightning is very small, of course. It's only, we could look it up, but I think it's 0.02 five percent of the coins in bitcoin are in the lightning network or something so it's less than one tenth of a percent if i remember correctly we can look it up yeah. let's look it up look it up right now 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely had some some constraints. Uh, but yes, I think one of the reasons why people like um, like Litecoin or Lightning is because it it's relatively little removed from the main chain in that it's just a a multi sig. You're in a multi sig, and then everything else you know happens but yeah it's like it's like hands that. off and it doesn't touch any other bitcoin participant necessarily mm-hmm. although of course that's not precisely the case either because um yeah it's a 0.0247% so it's mm-hmm. very small mm-hmm. but that's not quite the case either because like uh, people on the but yeah but people like it has no active participation whereas drivechain has this active participation of the l1 miners mm-hmm. to, to authorize the withdrawal so i guess it's slightly different like that uh but i mean like the l1 miners also the l1 miners are like indirect participation with bitcoin itself in a very profound way, which is that they'll all go bankrupt if Bitcoin doesn't mm-hmm. succeed and they'll make a huge amount of money if Bitcoin does succeed. So they are already like, it's not like they're, <laughs> okay, they want, people want like different things, right? They want, the ideal thing for them would be if the miners just mm-hmm. quietly sat in the corner, mining one block every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But from the miner's point of view, they have a gun pointed at their head. They're like, and that gun is crazy Bitcoiners. Yeah. Like crazy Bitcoin Twitter and crazy Bitcoin developers who are mm-hmm. like weird monks who don't care about profits, you know? Somehow. So uh, so that is kind of all, that is always sort of intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's been quite the fascinating discussion. Uh, hopefully it gets a lot more people thinking about this stuff. Where do you want me to direct people to to look to hear more about what you do as well as drive chains, etc.? It's chill o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> we have a we have a, a site layer2labs.com mm-hmm. which has some cool stuff. It has videos, it has infographics, it has some stuff, it has recordings of the spaces, other stuff that I do. Um, and then there's drivechain.info that's a site I made myself and it's mm-hmm. kind of like a gray matter site. It's got all this stuff. It's got all this, uh, research diagrams, FAQ, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty good. And then you can follow me on Twitter. I'm truth going on Twitter or, or have layer two labs on Twitter. And, uh, I think you'd learn a lot. If you just started with all that, you get into enough trouble. The drive chain.info has a link to like a YouTube playlist. That's like, 30 something hours of stuff. Uh, there's like, it has, we have the, the software. The best way to learn is to actually run the software. Running the software is key. Uh, and uh, yeah, like most people on Twitter will confidently say things that are untrue mm-hmm. just because that's the way Twitter is. So I would just say take whatever, anything you hear on Twitter with a grain of salt. It's yeah. not like uh, the, you know, I mean, when has Twitter ever been wrong about anything, right? Like, <laughs> so I would say, yeah, if you read yourself and it is in conflict with something you heard on Twitter, what it was on Twitter is probably wrong. Yeah, of course. Don't trust verify is what they right. say. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Thanks for joining us and I hope you have a good one. And yeah, thanks for the discussion. Hey, thanks for having me.